0: If you would, turn in your Bibles, the book of Romans, chapter 8, and turn in your bulletin to the outline <clears throat> that you've got, and follow, use that follow uh, following, take notes, and the like. So we are currently looking at the benefits that flow from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 1 is, is set out to be really an expose of Paul's theology. He hadn't been to Rome yet. But he hoped to get there to be helped on his way to Spain. And so he introduced himself to the Romans through this epistle. For while Paul had not been there, his reputation had, or at least the scandalous, you know, false things about him. And so um, he wanted to introduce himself. So it really does read as a beautiful description of what. You know uh, uh, um, what God's word says about Christ's uh, salvation, life with Him, and the whole bit. Well, um, at this point in the in the gospel or in the gospel, in this epistle, um, we're at eight, where he talks. He, he turns to a discussion of the benefits. Chapter seven is the battle. Okay, we're gonna work. Uh, chapter seven is the the battle for holiness. But do you understand, brothers and sisters, that yes, it's a battle. Yes, life's going to be difficult as we struggle and strive um, against sin, against Satan, against our own flesh. Um, nevertheless, there are glorious benefits that are ours in Jesus Christ. And, and Romans 8 de- uh, describes d- these for us. Um, we looked at the first one la- uh, last week, 1 through 4. I'm going to read that again, and then we're going to focus on 4b uh the second half of four through verse eight so brothers and sisters this is the word of god and uh, um as this is the words of our king in the context of worship they stood when the word of god was read so let me invite you to stand together with me at the reading of our uh king's words here now the word of jesus <clears throat> there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, through, faith, uh, through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh. This is a definition. As far as the reading of God's word, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word and the privilege that you've given us now during this time of worship to now feast upon you, our Lord, to enjoy this, this peace offering, this, this fellowship meal. Lord, as we take your word and as you, our Lord, serve it and, and nourish us by it, Holy Spirit, give us illumination. And feed us richly. And, and Lord, we, we pray you give us grace to be responsive. Every one of us, the Lord, who can understand your, your word, give us the grace to be responsive to it this day. And your glory and praise. Give me grace to preach your word with fidelity. We entrust this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When I was a child growing up, the beanbag chair uh, came out. And um, it was a really popular article of, of furniture. And uh, as you may or may not know, it's a vinyl bag filled with styrofoam beads, um, and uh, it's it's uh, designed to be an easy chair in a, a you know recreation room, if you will. Well, we had two of them, and um, I don't recall how the first one broke, but I remember my, I do recall my dad's anger. Um, they had bought them, and you know a house with four boys. Um, they didn't last long and so the first one broke and that upset him but i do know how the second one broke it was me i broke it it was it was summer break and and i was taking it and using it to bash things and it hit the corner of a table and it broke and um, so i had all day long as a child to imagine my dad coming home inventing his anger on me and so I, I walked around in a mortal fear of my life you know no no help to my brothers who of course delighted in Taking the fourth-born child and saying, "Ooh, you're gonna get it when Dad gets home," and uh, so I—I I really did. I lived that entire day with that said that you know that sense of dread, that sense of foreboding. Well, around five o'clock, sometime afterwards, my dad pulled up in the driveway, and I had it all planned out. So I beat my brothers to the punch. I ran out to him, and I said, "Dad," and I said, "I had this plan. Are you in a good mood?" <laughs> That's what I asked him. And I never ran out, run out to meet him. So, you know, I can imagine from his perspective, he's thinking, what's up? He goes, uh, yeah. And by, you know, I'm following him in. I said, Dad, I mean, are you in a really, really, really good mood, is what I asked him next. And by the time we got in the house in the front front entry and he stopped, he said, yeah, I'm in a pretty good mood. What's up? I mean, what, what what's going on? And I came out. I said, I broke the beanbag chair. And that moment, my world stopped, as you can imagine yours would. And expecting the same anger that um, he vented when the first one broke. And he just kept walking and said, he said, he said, that's okay. And he just walked upstairs and changed. And I just sat there in shock because really. Um, so I went downstairs as quick as I could, gathered the bean bag because I had picked it all up. I, I had taped it and I threw it in the, in the, the garbage to, to, so he couldn't see it anymore. Um, Brothers and sisters, I, I'm, I'm, I think that's a, an analogy of how so many of us approach God. You know, we, 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 we live thinking good mood, bad mood. And that mood, of course, is set by how we live. If, we, if our sin's been light, if we've, we've done all of the things that we're supposed to do, all the obligations, if um, um, we've done our duties then we think God, no doubt, is in a good mood when he thinks of us. So we have the right to enter into his presence, and we do. But when we have a bad sin week, what happens to you? What happens to your willingness to come? That's why during worship, when we come to the uh, confession, we frequently say, brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with sin, come to the Lord. Don't run. But everything within us, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we want to flee. Because why? We believe that God's disposition towards us is based upon what we've done, how we've acted. That's how I live for an entire day with my dad. Man, my dad's going to get me when he comes home because of what I've done. Brothers and sisters, that mentality completely is contradicted by the text that I just read. Last week, the first benefit, no condemnation. And as well this week, the second benefit, fellowship with God. Now you'll note verse, uh, verse 4b through 8 is the text. You don't read one time the word fellowship in there. But this text is all about fellowshipping with God. Would you notice the very first part of the phrase in verse 4b, who do not walk. See that word walk? That's a big word in the Bible. The word is parapateo. And it is frequently used throughout the scriptures. Um, You can go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. In our day, our primary means of getting from point A to point B is by driving. Back then it was by walking. So we tend to think, for them, walking would be the way that we drive. And the way that you typically drive in a car, you put on music, you don't talk uh, typically. But in that day, they had a culture, Judaism had a culture, where walking was all about talking and discussing and fellowshipping okay so for example deuteronomy chapter 6 no doubt it began there and and perhaps even uh before and these words which i am uh, commanding you today god said this to his people shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way that created a culture that everywhere you went you took your kids And as you went, you talked about God. You talked about His Word. Hey, it's this feast that's coming up. You talked about what the significance of that feast was. Walking in Judaism carried that connotation. And that is why when we read after Christ was um, um, executed, the two disciples going to Emmaus. We read, and behold, two of them were, were walking, going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And were not surprised, i read. And they were uh, conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it had come about that while they were uh, conversing and discussing, Christ came. The idea to, uh, in that day to walk was communion, was dialogue. Was how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Um, and that is why, for example, when the people who were following Christ stopped following Him in John six, notice how it's it stated. As a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. Interesting, they weren't walking with Jesus. Anymore. Well, what does that mean? What do you mean? They were just mute, uh, science? No, they, they weren't listening and they weren't dialoguing. They weren't asking questions. They were done with that life. This gives you a new idea when you read Genesis 3, verse 8. And it says that Adam and Eve heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of, of the day. That tells you uh, something. Christ or God came walking in such a way as to invite, as to invoke the, those, um, his uh, children, Adam and Eve, to come to him. And that's why when we read, And they hid themselves. It's such a shock. Because God came walking. And walking means communing and talking and fellowshipping. No doubt, brothers and sisters, that is why that when uh, the Bible, the Gospels describe Jesus Christ's ministry, you know the primary word they use to describe Christ when he was actually ministering? Walking. He was out walking. You'll read that multiple times. Peripoteo. He's out walking, um, discussing, talking, um, uh, uh, fellowshipping. Uh, And so when we read in this text who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, walking according to the Spirit as a description of a Christian, we conclude that that not only does the Christian first benefit no uh, condemnation, but building upon that, because of that, the Christian now has a relationship with God of discourse. A relationship with God of communion. Communion. The word I use, the word the Bible uses to describe that is fellowship. And if you don't like that word, put whatever word in your mind that you need there. But that's what this second benefit is. I've titled it biblical fellowship, fellowshipping with God. And brothers and sisters, isn't that exactly what we are about in our Christianity? How do you describe someone's relationship with God? How do you ask someone, hey, how's your relationship with God going? Oftentimes, what do we say? How's your walk going? What does that mean? That means that, brothers and sisters, when you were saved, you were brought into a relationship with God. Hear this. When you were saved, you were brought into a relationship with God wherein you now were bound to him, in essence, to go on a walk about the entire rest of eternity. That's what salvation brings. Okay? Um... And that, therefore, is the second benefit that we have from God, and that is fellowship, walking by the Spirit. Now, Paul is going to first, as he explains this, he first is going to make a very important delineation, which I've I titled here, The Basis of Our Fellowship. Would you notice with me in this text how he describes this walking and thus the basis of this fellowship we have with God? Notice with me verse 5. You do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For, I say this to explain this, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Two phrases are important there. According to. That word according to, kata, in the Greek, in the context indicates a person's fundamental essence. Bent or disposition i'm going to say that again when you read according to it's talking about your fundamental essence bent or disposition thus to be according to the flesh is to say that an individual is given to and so and so are controlled by his fallen humanness or to be according to the spirit is to say that an individual is given to and so controlled by the spirit of god obviously what he's talking about here are non-believers and believers. And do you therefore want to know the definition of a believer? In this text, verse 4. The definition of a believer is someone who walks according to the Spirit. Now I want to stress that one more time here, so we don't uh, miss it. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. I want you to see this. 1 John 1, verse 3. Very important in our understanding of your relationship with God. First John 1, verse 3. John's introducing himself, and he says this, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, this is it. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John is writing this so that God's people... My understand the fellowship they have with God. When you're saved, you're brought into fellowship with God. We use that expression wrongly. We tend to think that fellowship speaks of talking with God and, and um, um, you know, feeling a certain way. And, and, you know, it speaks of these things. Brothers and sisters, before it speaks of that, and so we talk about being out of fellowship with God. Before we talk about the verbal aspect of fellowship, you have to understand it's a noun. And the noun aspect of fellowship is it's something you have with God that you'll never be out of. You can't be out of fellowship with God because to be out of fellowship with God is to be not saved. That's the point of Romans 8. You walk according to the Spirit. Okay? And um, because of that... You and I now have fellowship. We we have this relationship with God. Think of it this way. When you were saved, God tied a lasso around you and now holds that lasso. And that lasso is the Holy Spirit. Holds that lasso. And everywhere you go, everywhere God goes, you go with him. And that lasso will never be loosed. Ever. Death won't destroy it. Death won't change it. You are now united to Christ. You now have fellowship with God. You have been, through your salvation, you have been introduced into a relationship with God that will never, ever end or never, ever change. Do you understand that? Brothers and sisters, that's massively important because so many of us here think that your fellowship is predicated upon what you do. And I say, hey, how's your walk going? How's your fellowship with God? You're going to be thinking my fellowship with God is based upon what I do. And if you have that mindset, you and I are going to live our lives at times with that cloud over your head like I had as that that kid, knowing that, man, have you ever blown it? And therefore, you're out of fellowship with God. He has to be upset with you. I love this quote. Malcolm Muggeridge um, wrote these words in his diary. Walking around St. James Park, I thought um, intensely of the difference between Tolstoy and St. Augustine. Both were uh, professed believers. Tolstoy, uh, Tolstoy was a Catholic. Augustine, you know, Augustine was a believer. Tolstoy tried to achieve virtue through the exercise of his will, through his performance. Augustine saw, for man, there's no virtue without a miracle, salvation. Okay, There's no virtue without salvation. Thus, St. Augustine's asceticism, so he lived, lived an ascetic life, brought him serenity. Tolstoy's asceticism brought anguish, conflict and the final collapse of his life into tragic buffoonery what's the difference between those two people both were religious in the context of christianity both said they followed jesus but Augustine understood that when he was saved, he, was, he entered into a relationship with God, and therefore everything he did was the result of that, flowed from that. He, he understood that because God loved him, he did what he did as the overflow. Tolstoy, on the other hand, was living by performance. And everything he did in his Christianity, reading the Word of God, praying, going to, to church, confessing, name it, was all to get God to, in a good mood. Brothers and sisters, it's so important you understand the second benefit, like the first, is something you can't lose. It's based upon a saving relationship with God. You have fellowship with God. Now think about that. At all times, in all places, you are in the presence of God and you have fellowship with that God. Communion. He's with you. He's walking with you. So no matter what you're doing, your sinning is done in that fellowship. Your reading is done in that fellowship. You're never alone. You're never bereft. He's always there. So whether you're doing good or doing bad, that doesn't cancel out the fact that you're in fellowship with God. Now, to demonstrate this uh, further um actually before i even go there let me just make this last statement in that uh, context in that context therefore if your christian life is characterized by gloomy cloud overhead right you don't have the joy of the lord if your life is characterized by that i don't mean seasons i mean it's characterized by that i don't care how much you read the bible how much you go to church how much you pray you are not practicing christianity You're you're doing another religion. You think it's Christianity. I read the Bible. I pray in Jesus' name. I do all these different things. But brothers and sisters, if your relationship with God is that of Tolstoy, he's participating in a different religion than what is described in the Bible. What is described in, in the Bible is what we're seeing here. God brings the sinner into fellowship with him. Now that sinner is in fellowship with God. He cleanses them. He saves them. But they still have practical sin and they're in fellowship with God and that will never end. God will never ever lose his grip on you. He'll never ever, uh, first uh, benefit, look upon you with condemnation. Even though you're sinning, you're his child. He's communing with you. He's attached himself to you. Or better yet, he's, he's, he's attached you to him. Now, to delineate this, to prove this, Paul then turns his focus to look at a very important clarification. Okay, And that is, just to demonstrate to you how we are so different from the non-believer. We've got fellowship with God, they don't. And this is why. Notice with me, he turns his focus to this important clarification. Verse 6a, for the mind set on the flesh is death. Okay. Brothers and sisters, you have uh, fellowship. They don't. They can't. They can't commune uh, with God. We have this idea that, you know, non believers, maybe you do, non believers, when they pray, God hears them. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 says no. God does not hear their prayer. Because you know why? They're not praying to God. He gives four reasons why the mind set on the flesh is death. Brothers and sisters, they're living dead they're zombies non-believers are zombies spiritually they're the living dead we have life even though we struggle with sin even though we fail we have life in christ and we and we are connected at the hip to, uh, to jesus they don't why because number one the non-believer is at, is at enmity with god notice seven because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward god Isn't that crazy The non-believer picture in scripture is not someone who who wants to be with Jesus any way they they can. Scripture is very clear. Look at that text. They're at enmity with God. They hate God. In Matthew chapter 24, 51, Christ describes hell as weeping and gnashing of teeth. We tend to think that means pain and suffering and not. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you want to know what that Hebrew colloquialism is, you go to Acts 7, where the Jews gnash their teeth at Stephen. What does that mean, to gnash your teeth? It's anger. So hell is a place where people are given to the anger that they have towards God. Okay? it's uh, The non-believer, one, does not have life, cannot have fellowship, because they hate God. Okay? Secondly, would you notice 7B? They're in rebellion against God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. Incredible. The non-believer are not trying to follow God in any way, God's word. In any way, they've turned their backs upon the law. You know, Romans chapter 7 says... That if there was a law that could give life, it's this. God's word can give life if you follow it perfectly. The problem is you can't. So get this. The law gives life. uh, Believers, life is death. Why? They don't subject themselves to life. They hate God's word. They're they're running from God's word. Romans 1.22, listen to the description. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. For an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and four-foot animals and crawling uh, creatures. This describes a non-believer not as someone trying to get to God, but they've turned their back upon God to worship the creature. So brothers and sisters, they are their life is death of the living dead. Because one, um, they hate God. And two, therefore, they do not submit themselves to life. They don't want life. They want death. Verse 7c. The non-believer, uh, thirdly, is enslaved to sin. Why do they do that? Because they're enslaved. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. That's the picture of the non-believer in Scripture. They are enslaved to sin. A natural man, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolish to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised, 1 Corinthians 2.14. Or you could read 2 Timothy 2, speaking of the consequence of Salvation in the life of um, the uh, non-Christian, one of the the consequences, um, that they may come to the senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Non-believers are are enslaved, imprisoned by Satan to do his will. They hate God, they've turned their back upon God, and they can't understand God. So we have this idea that you know, the non they just need to hear more information. If I give them, if they, if I can say it right, they'll become uh, believers, brother and sister. They don't need new information; they need a new heart. Okay, now for some, maybe who, who have never heard, they need that uh, that uh, information to get the new heart. But the reality is, they don't need more knowledge; they need a new life, a new heart, and that is that. Therefore, verse eight it culminates, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, brothers and sisters, if you think of fellowship as as a verbal idea, you you could say, well, non-believer could could walk with Jesus. Look, Judas did for three years. So he had fellowship with, with God. No, no. Paul says you can't have fellowship with God if you're not saved. Because if you're not saved, you hate God there's no fellowship there's no there's no mutual love and and uh, communion going on you've turned your back upon this being judas turned his back upon christ in the entire three years he wasn't there learning from christ he was there hating christ growing in his hatred of him such to the very end he had no problem condemning him uh, to death incredible So brothers and sisters, you in Christianity through Christ have entered into a relationship with God where you are now joined at the hip. You have fellowship with God. Um, And that then leads then to this beautiful verse 6b, which I skipped. And we're going to close with this. 6b, the result of this fellowship. Because you and I are united at the hip. Because you and I are walking with God. That is where we are. So once you were saved, you began sojourning with God. You're walking with God right now. You go, I don't feel like I'm walking with him. You are walking with him right now. Spiritually speaking, you are. Okay? Now, what's the consequence of that? What can be the consequence? Notice with me 6B. For the mind set on the flesh is death. We talked about that in relation to the non-believer. But the mind set on the spirit is life in peace. Now he's talking about those in verse 4 who are according to the Spirit. So that's our fellowship. When you're according to the Spirit, notice what happens. When you're according to the Spirit, your mind, franeo, which I didn't define, let me define it now uh, for you. The word for franeo is the word it refers to the basic orientation in thought patterns of an individual. It's not your intellect per se. Hey, what's your... IQ. That's not phroneo. That's your noose. That'd be your, your noose in the Greek. In the, in the Greek, phroneo is not your your intellect, but your affections, your will, your outlook, your reasoning. Okay? So when we talk about the mind, we're, we're talking about your outlook, your will, your goals, your reasonings. You're talking about the full orb of what you and I do with our minds on a given basis. Thinking, desiring, emoting, all those different thoughts. Okay, that's this word. The mind set on the flesh is death, but this mind set on the spirit. When this mind is set on the spirit, it produces two, two things. Life. Okay, let's define that word. It's the theme of our of our worship this morning. I purposely didn't define it then because I know I'm defining it now. The word life here is eschatological. you got to understand that. When we think of life, we think of life from a horizontal phase, uh, phase, and that is, well, life reproduces. Uh, We have a baby, and that baby got his life from us. Of course, God gave him life, but of course, we understand that baby's life came from us. Brothers and sisters, first and foremost, understand the life you have in Christ is an eschatological life. Now, what does that mean? That means it's a life that pertains to the next age. It's a life where God gave it to you so that you might live, not here, but there. Now it begins here. I mean, you, you know the phrase "eternal life." I've defined this before. "Ionaos Zoe." "Ionaos" is the word for eternal. It's not, but they translate it "eternal Zoe life." Okay, it's not the word "Ionaos" means age. So, if you translate "eternal life" in the Greek literally, you'd say "age life." Well, the, the people translating scripture went, okay, age, life, what is that? Well, a life that, that uh, you know, um, goes throughout the ages. Well, what, the eter- eternal life. Eternal life. Let's, let's, let's put it down as eternal life. But this is, that's a presumption. Yeah, it is a life that go, It starts now and goes forever. That's true. But that's not the emphasis of this word. The emphasis of this word is age. This is life pertaining to the age. What age? The age to, uh, to come. In other words, you and I think, man, when I die, I get to go be in heaven and enjoy that life with God. It's begun the moment you entered into a saving relationship with Christ. You've got it right now. Okay? It's not something you're going to get at death. It's something that continues at death. But if you don't have it at death, you're never going to have it. Right? That's the second death. But if you've got it, when you die, you've got it, brothers and sisters. So life pertaining to the age. What age? The age to come. So if you set your mind on the the spirit, guess what what comes as a result? The motives of the age, the the motives of life. The life you'll have in eternity. What drives you in eternity? What's going to drive you in in the new heavens and the new earth? What's going to burden you in the new heavens and the new earth? What's going to make you happy in the new heaven? What's going to make you sad? What's going to make you... You can say sadness, you know, it's not there. Get this, brothers and sisters. To, be, to have a mind according to the Spirit is to produce this life. It's therefore to produce a mind according to the Spirit produces the motives, the goals, the affections, the values that you're going to have in heaven. And we want them now. Okay, now that life... Is, is more than just this intellectual. It's the fullness of it. It's the, it's the living of life as Christ is the life. It's the, it's the existing. It's the breathing. It's the functioning. So it's bigger than just simply these nebulous concepts as motives and desires. It's the full, it's the, it's, it's the full bit. Secondly, would you notice, actually before I go there, to uh, demonstrate that, John 17.3. Right? What did Christ define eternal life as? Okay, okay, that's eternal life. You just defined it lexically. Practically speaking, Greg, what's eternal life? John 17, 3. We, had to, we tend to think eternal life is life that doesn't end. Well, non-believers will, will suffer in the lake of fire for eternity. Hence, they have eternal life. Their life doesn't end. So clearly, they don't have eternal life. But well, what is eternal life if it's not endless existence? Well, brothers and sisters, John, uh, Christ defines it. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. What is it? that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Christ tells us that the definition of eternal life, John 17, 3, is a love relationship with God. We've got that now. And the more you set your mind according to the Spirit, the more that you are living in light of that relationship now. How it transforms your goals. It transforms your desires. It transforms what you call good and bad and the whole bit. Secondly, would you notice the mindset of the Spirit is peace. In the Bible times, peace was viewed as the absence of warfare. Um, but that's not what peace is in the Bible. In, in the Bible, peace has two uh, connotations. One, it's the state of being um, reconciled with God. It's well with my soul because God no longer sees my sin. He's, he's, he's paid the punishment of Christ. I've got Christ's life. Therefore, we have peace between God and man. The war is gone. Or secondly... It also refers to the consequent state of knowing that that war is done. It is, it is good between me and God. The God of eternity loves me and says, Well done, that good and faithful servant. When that's the case, I walk around with a sense of peace. You know, Greg, you just lost all your money. Yeah, but I got God. Greg, you just lost your, your, your children. I think it of Spafford. Yes, but I've got God. A peace like a river tenth of my way, stalls like sea bulls, or whatever that was. God is telling me to say, it's well with my soul. Yeah, but I, I've got God. I've got life with Christ. And yes, I would rather have my house and my money and my car and my health and my children, all the other different things that I want and, and, and enjoy. But brothers and sisters, you impoverish the Christian nothing if you take everything from him but leave him with Christ. In the words of Rutherford, you lose nothing who gain Christ. And if you gain Christ, then sure I am, God will, will give you a thousandfold more than you could ever have on this side of the grave with Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. And that's true. So this, the result is peace, the sense of, of, of walking and saying, it's well with my soul. A sense of contentment which says, you know, yeah, I, I, I want to make more money so I can use it for God's glory, or you, you know, buy the house and buy the car, you use it to clothe the children, whatever. But if I don't have it, God has done me no wrong. He's given me life. I've got peace. I walk around the sense of, 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 of fulfillment. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's the peace referenced here now brothers and sisters being a christian doesn't mean you're going to have that existential experience of life and peace you've got fellowship but do you enjoy the fellowship okay david didn't remember king david when he sinned against the lord with bathsheba and with deceit and then murder remember what he wrote when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For, for day and night, a hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away with the fever heat of summer. Man, it was not good at that moment in David's life. He was not enjoying the existential consequences, the experiential consequences that come from the fellowship he had with, with God. In fact, what he was reaping in his life was the opposite. Okay, well, why? Because of his sin. Okay, he forfeited not his fellowship with God, but the experience of life and peace. So what did he pray? Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your uh, salvation, sorry, thy salvation. Interesting, he didn't say, Lord, give me back my fellowship. I'm, I, I'm out of fellowship with God. He didn't say, give me back salvation. What do he say? Lord, please give me back the joy. I'm so sorry that I sinned. Give me back that joy. And that joy is personified thus in Psalm 32 when he wrote, Thou art my hiding place when God did. Thou dost thou preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. He said, don't, I don't live there. I don't live there. Tolstoy, unfortunately, tends to be my bag. All right? That's, that's me. I walk around with that gloominess. I don't know that peace. I don't know that joy. I don't know that life. Um... Is that because you're not saved? It could be. So if, if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, today's the day. Come to Christ. Let me ask you this. Let me stop here for one, for one holy moment. Holy moment. Answer this question right now. Why should God let you into heaven? Answer that in your brain. Parents, take this and run with this with your children. Take each of them separately and ask them, why should you be let into heaven? Talk to them about this. The most important question you can ask them, I ask you now, why should God let you into heaven? If you say anything, if you say, because I believe, because I go to church, I read the Bible, brothers and sisters, that's not why you're going to heaven. Demons believe and shudder. The deepest pit in hell is, is reserved for the theologian. What you know and how you know it does not save you why are you does god let you into heaven answer is because of the cross of christ because the righteousness of christ given to me brothers and sisters start there you may not lack joy you may not have peace or joy because you're not saved now if you say no christ's righteousness is, is is and you say this with a very dull heart right you don't have joy and peace it's the righteousness of jesus christ that's fine you're saved. Praise God. Well, then why else do you lack it? Well, it could be because of sin. You're living an unconfessed sin. That's, that was David. That's what robbed him of his joy. So now, do you confess your sin so God likes you again? No, He loves you. You're walking with Him. You don't confess to get Him to get back into fellowship. You confess because He's walking with you. He's seen everything you've done this past week or this past month. He's seen it all. And it hasn't alienated him it hasn't said man i'm done with that kid he hasn't he are still attached to him at the hip if you know that allow that glorious truth to draw you back this very moment and say oh god here i was sinning i was thinking man i've already blown it.' you know how like diets are right i will eat no more candy this week none no more sugar monday morning wake up uh, you wake up Ooh, there's one more cookie from from yesterday's fellowship and I'm not gonna throw it's just one little cookie you have, it and you go, I blew my diet, that means the entire week is blown, right? Next week I'll start my new diet. So the rest of the week you pig out. Why? Because you blew it, and next week you'll be a you're gonna be on the Spartan diet. So you're gonna be eating more cake than you normally eat. And hey, let's get those crispy cream donuts every single day. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's how we live in our walks with God. I've sinned. And because I've already, I'm already alienated, God must hate me. What do you do? You're diving into it. Man, I might as well just enjoy it. One of these days I'll come back. Brothers and sisters, you've got it so wrong. God is never alienated. You are in your mind. You're the one. You're the one turning your back upon God. You're still bound at the hip, and he still loves you. So if you have sinned this day, don't think you can sin more because it doesn't matter. It does matter. Do you know why? It's robbing you of joy. It's robbing you of peace. It's robbing you of serving God and exalting him and exalting any him. So the the second reason could be sin. So be quick to turn from it. Thirdly, it could be, back to verse 6, you're not setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. That is something the Bible calls us to do, brothers and sisters. Listen to it, Colossians 3, set your mind on the things above. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust and deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We're called to be renewed. We're called to set our minds on the spirit. Okay? We're called to... um, um, therefore, you know, um, uh, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to set your mind on the Spirit? The answer, brothers and sisters, is to allow the Word of the Spirit to take over your, your will, to become your, your will and your motives and your goal, right? What's your goal today in life? Well, my goal today in life is to make a lot of money so I can retire. Okay, okay, there's nothing sinful about that goal, but is that your goal in your walk with God? Is that your goal? Is that your life goal to make a lot of money? It isn't. If you go to the Word of God, all of a sudden you, you realize, man, sin and decay can all around I see. Here today, gone tomorrow. Job says w- w- money's like wings. It, it flies away. Why would I set my hope and dream and glory upon a retirement? Yeah, if I've got it, praise God, and there's nothing wrong for planning for it. But if it all goes away... Brothers and sisters, my goal in life is to love Christ more. It's to know him more. It's to help you guys know him more. It's to have other people help be helped by you to know him more. It's to exalt Christ that we might decrease, he might increase. That's my, you know, as you read scripture you go, that becomes the goal. So all of a sudden now you lose all your money. You lose your health. You lose all these things. And people are like, oh my, he lost all these things. Let's on tiptoes around him, you know. And you're like David, standing up and rejoicing. How can you rejoice at a time like this? What are you cold? No, because brothers and sisters, I know whom I have believed, and I'm able. I am convinced. You see, he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. That was Paul. So when you set your mind, you do it by 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 being in the Word of God being transformed by the renewing of your mind you can read psalm 36 ultimately everything david says there you've got the verse there read it, it comes because in thy light we see light in the light of god's word we see re- reality thus notice the consequence if the word of god is guiding us is what's is what's driving us the law of the lord is perfect it restores the soul psalm 19 restores, it makes us wise, it enables us to rejoice in the heart, it enlightens the eyes. I want to say this in in closing. Yeah, I am saying uh, thirdly, if you lack joy in in life, it could be you're not saved, it could be that you're in sin, uh, living in in uh, unconfessed sin. Okay, We all have sin, but living in uh, unconfessed. Or thirdly, it could be you haven't set your mind, you're not setting your mind on things of the Lord. Your motives and goals and desires in this life are earthbound. They're not, they're not driven by God. And if that's the case, get in the word of God. Now, the moment I say that, I'm saying this in closing. The moment I say that, all the Tolstoys out there are, are going to be going, okay, you better believe it. I'm going to get in the word of God, and that will make God love me more. I'm going to get in the word of God, and that will make God happy with me. Brothers and sisters, no. That's performance-based religion. That's not Christianity. Get in the word of God because you got the relationship with God. Amen. I close with these words, Dr. Chappell. I think it's, it's fair to say that many people honor God out of mere duty. Performance. Tolstoy. Or because they dread his anger. How many times have you heard someone say they did something wrong and now they're waiting for the proverbial bolt of lightning to strike? Yet yeah, God wants the prime motivation of his children to be very different. That's why his greatest commandment is for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That love relationship changes everything in our Christian walk. How do you you have that love relationship? You understand you have have it with God. He loves you. So give yourself to what he's done already. Love him back. That love relationship changes everything. God's love assures us that his rules, the word of God, what I just told you to read and study, his rules are for our benefit, not the arbitrary commands of an eternal killjoy. Loving God makes our service to him, reading the word of God, name it, joy rather than a burden or a bribe. When we truly understand God's heart of grace through the revelation of Jesus Christ's sacrifice that turned God's wrath from our sin as a propitiation, then we never fear his condemnation, Romans 8, 1-4. Instead, we're drawn into a relationship that's filled with love. Romans 8, 4 through 8. Condemnation dealt with. Now guess what we've got? Fellowship with God. The call for you and me as I say this in closing, brothers and sisters, dive into it. I mean, if, if right now some despot were to grab you and chain you to a total stranger And uh, say, you're going to be, you know, enjoy this because you're going to be stuck with this guy for the next, you know, 70 years of your life. I dare say you'd probably start saying, Who are you? Brothers and sisters, when God saved you, He united yourself to Him. You're stuck with Him for the rest of eternity. It's natural for you and I to give ourselves to the fellowship and saying, Who are you, God? Show me your glory. Open my eyes that I might behold the being who has ransomed my soul, brought me out of slavery, puts his arm around me and says, you're in my fellowship. You're in my family. Brothers and sisters, give yourself to that benefit today, tomorrow, and thereafter. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Well, what an incredible... It's, again, it's like Christmas, present after present gets better and better. No condemnation. Now, Lord, to think that you have united yourself to us. That we now walk together with you. And even though, Lord, we may not be purposed, we may not be mindful of it, we may just be ignorant of it. Nevertheless, that doesn't change the reality. For that, Lord, we are so grateful that we walk together with you. You walk together with us. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray, oh Lord, if there's one here who does not know you, that you'd open their eyes, that they might see their cleansing need for the blood of Jesus Christ. That they would come to you this day and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Take away all my sin. Secondly, Lord, I pray for the one, for us, who are, who are living in this state of sinful, sin and misery where we sin. But, Lord, for the one who's living in unrepentant sin, who won't give it up, oh, Lord, they're going to lack the joy of the Lord. And they may very well lack it because they're thinking, since they're in this state, they're going to enjoy it while they're there. Lord, I pray that you would that you'd open their eyes at the very moment. Let them see the folly, that they're in a relationship with you, that you still love them, that you still approve of them. There's still no condemnation. And may that very gospel bring them back. Lord, for us all, grant us the grace to be a people who now that we are in your fellowship, to awaken and realize that this is for eternity. Give us the grace, O Lord, therefore, to seek you, to to embody what eternal life really is, and that's knowing God in Jesus, walking with you, Seeking to know you. Father, grant us grace as a body to be a church characterized, Lord, as people who are hungering and thirsting after you. We pray this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters,